0: This is how old I am. When I was in high school, my dad got a personal computer at work for the first time. He's a writer and a now retired college professor. And he came home overflowing with happy reports about what it could do. Not get onto the internet, that wasn't a thing yet, or make calculations in less time than a blink, because his field is English literature and doesn't involve a lot of math. No, what he could not get over was the copy and paste function. Amy, he said, if you decide a paragraph should go later in your piece, you can just lift it out and move it. It is so amazing. I didn't type a dissertation on a Smith Corona like my dad did, but as someone who writes for a living, I deeply appreciate not having to retype three pages or scribble in the margins every time I want to move a sentence from there to here. It's good to look back in memory and realize how much the development of this humble function has helped us, but of all the simple, formerly impossible things a computer program can do. The one I'm particularly thankful for is control Z. Undo. Oops, I didn't mean to delete that. Control Z and it's back. An hour's hard work has not gone down the tubes. Uh-oh, what'd I just do? Undo it. Whew. Thank God and computer programmers for control Z. Out of the ashes of our mistakes, they perform a miracle. They reverse time. They give us another chance. If only more of life were like that. If only we could push a button. If only as the bells rang out, the past year passed away and with it disease, and war, and deservedly dying causes. In so many ways, life isn't like that. It just isn't. Our mistakes affect other people, other beings, not just pixels. And so there are things we just can't undo. We can apologize, make amends, but we can't just push a button or two buttons at the same time and return us to the pristine state of before time. Between the action and the realization that we would like to withdraw it, feelings are hurt, lives are lost, species disappear. If only there were an undo button for life, many tragedies and losses would melt away as swiftly as words disappear and reappear on a screen. There isn't, of course. And when we do act as if the harm we sometimes do one another is easily dismissed and forgotten, we really just add to the harm. But I also think we could undo a lot more often. I think we don't exercise that power nearly as much as we might. We treat so many mistakes and past decisions as if they are utterly irreversible. And so we persist in them when we could say, oops, that was a bad idea. I can't undo the harm it has caused, but I sure would like to take a different road from this point. I would like to do things differently now. And. We can help each other to do that by the kind of friendship we offer, offering each other gently and with humor and empathy, the opportunities to reassess and change when we choose to. You know, we are some of the most powerful people who have ever lived. I don't want to make assumptions about your circumstances. I know some here are struggling for their lives, for they're worried about where the next rent check will come from. You're terrified for a family member. Maybe you're terrified of a family member. It's not all roses. However, on the whole, as a community, we have tremendous power, wealth, social status, access to health care and education and good jobs. We are the beneficiaries of others' past decisions which, right or wrong, granted us a great deal of security and influence. And yet, we feel so helpless to affect our world. We look around and see overwhelming problems caused by past mistakes, our own or other people's, that seem impossible to undo? What if we embraced our power to reimagine and remake our communities? What if we started, at least in imagination, with an empty screen and said, we can make our nation, our schools, our workplaces, our towns what we want them to be? Okay, let's start smaller. What is a direction you've been heading that feels a little off to you? A habit you've gotten into, say that a little niggling feeling tells you you'd really like to change. I'll give you a moment. Could you hit control Z on that habit? Is it important enough to you? Remember, if you fall into it again, the control Z buttons are still there. Some of you are probably thinking of one that would be pretty easy and you're going to change it right away. Some of you are probably thinking you are uncomfortable with something in your life, but undoing it is really daunting for many reasons. I think one of the reasons we sometimes don't change course even when we don't like the direction we're headed is something called the sunk cost fallacy. You may know what that is. The sunk cost fallacy reflects the fact that we as individuals and organizations are more likely to continue with something, a project, a decision, a course of action, if we have already invested a lot in it our money, our effort, our time, even when continuing is not to our advantage. The succinct expression for this mistake is throwing good money after bad. So for example, you bought a ticket for a concert or sporting event or play, but now you have a headache and you really don't feel like going. You can't find anyone to buy the ticket or even accept it as a gift. This is a case of the the cost being sunk. And you might as well cut your losses and do what you want to do that evening. Stay home, put your pajamas on and turn in early. You can't change the past. But you can decide now on how to spend your evening and it's not rational to spend it miserably instead of happily. In real life, it's complicated by the fact that we don't know in advance what we will wish we had done. Since we can't predict the future, even how we will feel in just an hour or two, it's possible that if you go, you might have a good time after all. Maybe your headache will disappear. On the other hand, we can often just try these unknown futures. Hey, go to the concert. And if 20 minutes in, your headache is worse and you wish you were just home in bed, Nothing's stopping you from leaving, except your own commitment to costs that are sunk and will never be recouped. It's even more complex with decisions like whether to stay in a struggling relationship or whether to stay in a job that is steady but soul-numbing, or for that matter invigorating, but not high paying enough to stay out of debt. Or whether to change careers to something you would prefer even though you've put years of effort and expense into developing the one you're in. As I said once from this pulpit, I think most of us tend to either stay too long or quit too early. And it's good just to know what our own tendencies are. And of course, there are other people to be considered who may be affected by your decisions. But let's focus for today on the things we really could and should undo. Those in which no one, least of all ourselves, is particularly benefiting from our current course. The most devastating example of the sunk cost fallacy at work might be war. A grim saying goes, no one wants their child to be the last to die for a mistake. There is only one way to ensure that no one is the last to die in a war, and that's to have people keep dying. Another way to put it is that it is better to be the last one to die for a mistake than for another 1,000 to die after you, or even another 100, or even another one. In a related issue, tangential but related, each time there's a mass shooting, Each time there's a mass shooting, there are some who want to talk about gun violence and others who say it's not a good moment when feelings are running high, that we're politicizing the grief and shock of that moment. This isn't the time, some say. My friend Brian Brian Sargent wisely turns this around. The time to talk about gun policy isn't after the last mass shooting, it's before the next one. The costs of our past are sunk. And that time, those dollars, those lives, tragically, cannot be retrieved. The rest of history is still before us. How do we want it to go? The essential ingredient to getting out of the sunk cost trap is to recognize when costs are sunk, when what's done is done, and we can only move forward from here. Life isn't always as simple as Control Z. Usually we leave behind more than the trace of pixels on a screen, but often it really is just our time and effort that we'll lose, and maybe our pride. Do we say, oh geez, I typed that whole word and I hate to undo it? No, we click Control-Z and are glad that modern computer processing makes it so easy to begin afresh. I think another reason we have trouble extending Undo to other parts of our lives is that it's hard to remember that the past is the past, and we only have this point forward. Yes, we are shaped by the past always, but certain attitudes keep us there, stuck there. We are a can-do culture as US Americans, but in some ways we are so defeatist, we too readily accept what is as what must be. This is why it's good for older folks to spend time with younger ones adolescents especially, as they become aware of what is, ask why it is that way. They don't take kindly to the answer, that's just how it is. They ask the questions we all could be asking all the time. Is there a better way? Could we try that? They think big if we, their elders don't discourage them. The past is the past but we can rewrite even the story, not of what happened, that would be madness, but of how we interpret it and how we grow from it. When it comes to politics, national and global issues, we have difficulty doing that. And we have particular difficulty in righting wrongs because we can't or won't admit they are wrongs. What if people had felt that way about the wrongs that have been righted in recent decades, the advances in liberation for people of all races, people of all genders, people of all physical abilities and disabilities? What if when these changes were being debated, people had said or thought, we can't change this policy because it would show we'd been wrong all this time? Actually, I'm sure they often did. And that's why some really horrible policies held on for so long. Are we doing that now? Being unwilling even to contemplate change? About what? Why, for example, is it so unthinkable to take a lot of what police do out of police departments' hands? We can argue about whether defund the police is a useful slogan, but ask any police officer and they'll tell you things that they don't feel are quite exactly their jobs but have ended up on their plates. Why do we pay police to respond to mental health crises or redirect homeless people to services or evict tenants who haven't threatened violence but have simply not paid when police training is not the right training for these tasks? when putting them in the hands of police begs to make them into matters of crime and danger, whereas social workers or public health professionals or mediators are the natural people for the jobs. We can't erase the damage that we have done as we bumbled along trying to figure out this complicated stuff about being human and organizing our society. There's no magic button no computer program to fix it. But this is certain. If we're to have a better future, the best possible thing we can do right now is to be honest about where we are and what we've done. This is one thing we can give one another A willingness not to be bound by past errors, but to embrace the vast possibilities of the future. To look forward with hope and move into the future with better intentions, instead of just accepting that the way things are is the way they have to be. We have made a lot of wry jokes about the passing of 2020. The year is dying, let him die, we've said, happy to see the back of a bad year. Whether 2021 and future years will be different and how much different depends not on the turning of the clock and the calendar, but largely on us. We are the ones we have been waiting for, as June Jordan wrote, we, And people just like us created the world we live in. We can create a new one, starting small, thinking big, starting now. So may it be.